Hey everyone, my name is Drake and you're listening to the Drake Martinez Podcast. I'm your host and today we're going to be talking a little bit about the Republican Party and where it's at. Alright, so after um, a lot of political maneuvering and jockeying for position, backstabbery, Machiavellianism, there was a victory in terms of like getting a new House Speaker. We have, um, I think his name is Mike Johnson. I never heard about him before. I don't think anybody ever had uh, before. He, you know, just inconspicuously became the um, Republican House Speaker. I, I follow politics like I would say like extremely well, but like you know at least moderately well. And um, he's a uh, he's he's a character man. He seems there's two things that I've seen from him that I really like. One is that he prayed uh, after his. Um, victory after being nominated and and sworn in and all that as the uh, house speaker um speaker of the house for the united states congress and the other is he had a really really interesting um i guess like interaction or interrogation almost of um mayorgas who's the uh head of the department of homeland security and in it, he he did this thing that I really like. It's which is um, if you're in a situation in which you are interrogating somebody, asking them a line of questioning, and you're a United States senator, where if someone lies to you, it's perjury. You know, in certain instances, I don't know all of the instances, but like in, I know if in certain in certain examples or certain decorum if you lie to congress it's a it's a felony it's perjury but mallorca's and um what's his name oh, the guy that everybody or at least that i hate uh fauci you know they routinely do it they lie to congress and the senate all the time and mallorca's was really getting grilled by him and he didn't relent on his questioning. So a lot of times what happens, especially, oh, well, the other guy, Merrick Garland, they all do this, where they're answering the questions that they want to answer, not the questions that the senators or the congressmen are asking them. And, you know, so for example, I think he asked him, I have to go back and watch it, but you can watch it. The, the best examples I think are on Forbes, where... Uh, yeah, on Forbes on YouTube. So essentially, he's asking him about like certain policies, but then he gets into the nitty gritty of uh, this CISA, I guess it's called. It's a a subcommittee of the Department of Homeland Security, and he's asking him about. Uh, oh, yeah, that's what it was. He's asking him a lot about uh, curtailing or censorship of American Americans' um, speech on social media that there's this whole agency that or a subdivision of the agency that does that and he's like no we don't do that Mallorca's that is and the the new speaker of the house Mike Johnson I'm pretty sure his name and he goes like yeah actually you do there was a court ruling um that and I think it was like Louisiana that found that you did do it and it was your Orwellian and it was described as uh, dystopian by the courts, and uh, they found that you 
in your agency are um, censoring Americans. So you saying up here that you're using this for foreign intelligence gathering, that's not accurate. And he just didn't let him off the hook. He didn't let his lie stand. He just kept challenging on him and saying, well, you know what, that's not accurate. That's not accurate. And that's actually, I find, um, a very effective thing that I've used in my personal life even before I've seen that, um, especially in at work, is if somebody is saying something that's not accurate or is missing the point, I'll say, hey, straight up, man, what you're talking about is not accurate. I know I had this disagreement with my boss like, like a couple, or my supervisor, rather, like a couple of weeks ago. And... We got into an argument, and then he kind of just, or not really an argument, but yeah, kind of an argument, actually. And I was like, hey, look, man, what you're talking about, what you're saying is not accurate. This is what's accurate. And I think once clarity of communication is super important. And what the left and the Democrats are really great at is obfuscation. That is their specialty. It's a... Marxist thing that they love to do. They obfuscate. You know, um, they don't really, you know, there was a, I, I, there's another one that I saw recently. It was, an, it was a, um, ju- a judge that was uh, getting grilled by Ted Cruz. And Ted Cruz was asking him about his communist past. This is a guy that was looking for like some type of nomination into um, maybe like a circuit court or something like that. I don't really know, but... He, Ted Cruz was asking him about his, his communism affiliations and, and affinity and um, uh, affinity for, com- for Marxist ideology. And the guy was like, you know what? I'm not a Marxist. I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, a socialist. Uh, those are just ideas that I entertained back when I was in college. Or, and Ted Cruz was like, no, this is like really recent. This is like a month ago or two months ago that you published this piece that really shows like your um, your Marxist leanings. And what I found, what I find is that there's a lot of this that happens in um, discourse where I think only recently Republicans have really been stepping up on this and calling out the, the Marxists, the, uh, the socialists, the, just like the insane elements of the of the left wing um, ideologies that are you know, being um, propagated in the you know in the American like uh, discourse, and I think it's only recently that they've been able to take a stand and be like, you know what? No, you guys are a bunch of Marxists and communists, and you don't belong. Your ideology doesn't belong. And that was actually one of the things that the new House Speaker said was like, he's like this. You know, in his his speech, he said, like, up here was in God we trust. And that was put up during the Cold War to really uh, illuminate the fact that this country believes in God. Or at the very least, has an open um, arrangement, you know, for freedom of speech and religion. Where, as in the Soviet Union, it's like mandated atheism, essentially. Like, the state is God. And he was like, "In, in this country, that is not the case, and then no, nor should it ever be the case. That's not how the founders designed their system, etc. All that stuff I love. I love it. And um, I can get into why in a second, but um, I want to go back to this thing of, um, of, uh, of discourse. 
and um and what we what we allow and what we um what we've accepted as normal and communism should never be something that is accepted as normal in in the United States it's 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 totally opposite of what this country is all about um you know my wife is from Vietnam and she grew up with communism it's not it's not cool it's not good stuff my family left cuba and escaped communism and i grew up on stories about it and i remember when i was um i want to say i want to say i was around like 9 10 years old so this is probably around like 97 96 1997 1996 and my uncle I don't know all of the details but what I do know is that he had he had come over from Cuba Now my family came over from Cuba I'm pretty sure it was prior to the Castro revolution or it was around the same time I'd have to ask my family for more details about exactly how and when it went, when it went down but from what I was told, it was that they came over um, during or like right before the Castro Revolution because essentially my great-grandfather could see the writing on the wall. And he flew in and, you know, he had money. He was one of the, you know, the capitalists that my, that they were looking to kick out. So my grandfather, my great-grandfather left, brought his family over to uh, New York City, and then they set up a business there that they had owned and operated for many years. And then he retired to his farm before he passed away. I'm pretty sure he passed away somewhere around like 2003, uh, 2004, somewhere around that time. Um, but we, we are very familiar, especially my wife, with communism and the, and the real aspects of it, the, like the real application of it. And some countries are more aggressive with it than others. But no um, country was more aggressive with the application of communism um, than the Soviet Union. And I think what's ironic is like uh, there's a, there's a great a lot of great books about the Cold War that I'd like to recommend in other ep- uh, other episodes. Um, one that I'm reading now is uh, it's, I think it's called like the Cold War. I think it's by John Lewis Gaddis. Uh, Actually, let me pull it up right now just so I make sure I get the right book recommended. It's, um, let's see, I'm reading it right now. Yeah, John Lewis Gaddis, Cold War. And um, in it, there's just so much strategy, so much evaluation of the KGB versus CIA, the United States versus uh, the Soviet Union, Kremlin versus Washington, Moscow versus Washington, etc. Right, this versus, and I think what's really surprising is if you look back on it, the Soviet Union won the Cold War. We might have won the Cold War in 1991 when the Soviet Union fell, but their ideology poisoned the United States to the point that we are at now. And one of the things that I find really surprising especially as a history nerd, is um, I'd have to reference it into the book to give you the exact line, but somewhere, maybe it's around like page 80, I think, 
page 90. John Lewis Gaddis gets into this section, uh, into the, um, the espionage era of the KGB and how effective they were. They were so, according to this book, and this kind of makes sense to me now that he has said it. I have to research a little bit more. I have been meaning to research this a bit more, and I will, and we could talk more about this later on, is how exactly did the KGB become the world's premier intelligence agency? Because at certain points, they knew so much top-secret information. One, it's how they acquired the bomb so quickly after uh, we deployed it in Japan. They were aware of the Manhattan Project. They were very well aware and very well informed of the Manhattan Project. And I think that kind of gets into like what the movie Oppenheimer was all about or certain aspects of it. And... They knew certain things that were happening at the top levels of the United States government that even top generals didn't know. And you got to keep in mind that the Soviet Union at this point, like, it's like 1917. So it's only like a 30-year-old country at this point. So in the 40s, 50s, 30, 40, 50-year-old country, let's say. just Let's round up to 50 just for argument's sake. Well, the Brits have been a country and have utilized espionage and tactics and have grown their secret network far longer. You know, admittedly, the United States was late to the game in terms of espionage with the CIA because, you know, that wasn't really a thing until like after World War II, you know, and um, the United States wasn't running like a security state. So maybe that has something to do with the explanation as to how the KGB became so adept at espionage, especially here in the United States and in the UK, um, when they're dealing with like more powerful countries with, you know, especially like with the Brits that they had way longer of history in terms of like, establishing their, like I was saying, like their networks and their um, intelligence agencies. So I think as, and then there's other books too. There was another one that I was, um, I was reading. Oh, let me get the name of it really quick. Uh, but in this book essentially it gets into uh, like the, essentially like what you could call the Verona project. And it's by um, Christopher Andrew and Vasily Mitrokin. And it's called the Mitrican Archives, uh, the KGB in Europe and the West. And it gets into a lot of this stuff, like what was revealed in the Verona Project, which is essentially McCarthy was correct. Not only was he correct, but he was understating how much of an influence the KGB had in the West in terms of um, poisoning the United States with ideology. So their whole, uh, and there's, um, I think his name's like Yuri Bresmanov. Um, former a lot of other former KGB agents that have gone over this that certain the over the overall steps of the KGB, where essentially like they implant these ideas, help them foster, and then they utilize the free thinking aspects of the society to introduce these ideas and make them like sexy, make them appealing. Go, uh, they they tend to target entertainment. 
They tend to target actors, actresses, musicians, uh, all these types of people that really influence culture because let's say they can infect the culture. Well, in a couple of generations, it might take one or two, as, as some of them have stated, it will poison and take over the body politic of the nation. And that's pretty much what happened here. Like verbatim, or like to a T, what happened here in the United States. We fought the Cold War. 1991, we won the Cold War. Soviet Union's got crushed. Um, but the damage had already been done. It's almost like, yeah, you might have killed the Russian bear or the Soviet bear, but you know it sunk its claws into and so deep into you, um, and you know now you're crawling and trying to get back to town, but you ain't gonna make it. The good thing is that. Um, there seems to be a revival, an awakening happening that is being led by the Republic or rather elements of the Republican Party, what they would, what a lot of people would call the anti-establishment wing of the Republican Party. And that leaves a lot of hope because that was like one of the things that I saw initially with Trump is that Trump might not have been my favorite pick for president, but he was, I think, a great catalyst to wake and shake up the country and be like, hey, the Democrats and the Republicans are working together. They have been for some time. We need to hijack one of these parties and introduce real, authentic people trying to really authentically do the job of that office that aren't beholden to all these other interests, that aren't beholden to this poisonous ideology that is Marxism, that has poked its head up and it comes out as you know, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It comes out as, you know, ESG, um, where companies are being rated on their social um, equity and their governance as opposed to their their profits and their their services and their goods and like how they, they treat their customers, their customer relations. All of these normal metrics are being replaced with Soviet-style metrics compliance, orthodoxy. You ever notice that when you meet a Republican that they might have like wildly different views from one another, which is cool. And I'm going to talk about this. The Republicans have, you talk to one Republican, they might be like, hey, you know what? I'm, um, I'm not really like in favor of abortion, but I don't really like it. Uh, I don't really like it, but I can see why people want it. Okay, cool. Got it. Um, but yeah, Second Amendment, I'm all about it. Another guy might be like, you know, I'm I'm really into like just like physical responsibility. Um, I hate abortion. I I'm all about free speech, etc. They have there's a wide, in other words, there's a wide variety of opinions and and um, sources of conflict for the Republican Party, which is good because they're sort of like ironing it out. They're sort of meeting each other where they're at and everyone has their own ideas. The Democratic Party is not doesn't really function like that. They have, which is an advantage in certain aspects, such tremendous orthodoxy down the line. Trans rights, boom. And, and then you'll if I meet if I meet somebody that like, oh, I'm a Democrat, okay, I already know how you feel about trans rights. I already know how you feel about 
um, gun control. I already know how you feel about Ukraine. I already know how you feel about Donald Trump. There's not a whole lot of nuance to the way that they think. There just isn't. They just kind of like regurgitate and follow that party orthodoxy. They fall in line. That helps them as a voting block, but ideologically, what does that tell you? What it tells you, or at least it tells me, is that's the Soviet-style Communist Party orthodoxy line. You do not fall out of line with the policies. This is, and you know what's in weirder is that like these policies aren't even like established by like a single person, right? This is just like almost like out of the ether, you know, but it's not. It's coming from, you know, that's a whole nother episode, but it's coming from these major corporations that are giving them these talking points and these ways of thinking for a sort of like global governance and restructuring of society to make a different type of future for uh, humans as, as the way is the way that I see it. Not a, um, a free society, free association, um, entrepreneurial. This is much more top down control of the populace. And if you think about all their policies, yes, of course it makes sense that their ultimate goal would be a society that they can that they can structure and then they can control a lot easier than a free actual free society that is entrepreneurial and can choose its own destiny so we can get into those types of things in some other point but let's get back to the republicans so in my opinion then the republicans are our last hope the democrats already know how they're going to vote you already know pretty much what percentage what swaths of the country that they have um, under control. You got the big cities. But certain aspects of this, I think, are changing. Um, Florida. Um, other parts of the country might be changing right now due to the just the disastrous policies of the Biden administration. I mean, the world's on fire. There's multiple wars going on that weren't going on back when Trump was in office. GDP, like they could take all these other metrics that they want, but people feel, really, really feel the inflation. They really, like homes are just expensive to buy right now. You know, me and my wife are trying to buy a home. And right now it's like 8.2% or somewhere around there. That uh, Interest rates are just outrageous. And you, you couple that with inflation, you couple that with like you can't even go into major cities anymore with out like a homeless um, a homelessness epidemic. Um, the way that the Democrats reacted to the, the pandemic, you couple all these things all together and I think it's just very, very clear which party is <laughs> just not good for people. And I think from what I've been seeing and what I've been talking with people is more and more and more people are waking up to it. More and more and more people are like, you know what? The Democrats are a bunch of liars. 
I don't like this open border crap. I don't like the fact that um, I go down the street and, you know, there's all these people that are just out on the streets, just make, you know, having tent, like tent city out here in San Diego or Los Angeles or any of these other beautiful cities in the United States. And they can see the policies of California. They can see the policies of Gavin Newsom. And they can juxtapose this to places like Florida and Texas, where people aren't paying $7 a gallon for gas. And people are getting fed up with it. They're going to the grocery store and they're paying way too much money for this. They're paying way too much money for that. And once you start hurting people's pocketbooks, once you start hurting people's checks, that's when the real deal comes out. And I think that they really screwed up with throwing Trump into prison, mugshotting the man, because they just made him sexy. That's all they did. All they did was just make the man sexy. You know, he hasn't been president in a while. You know, there's so many crazy things happening in the world that, like, he's not really the brunt of the media's uh, full-scale assault anymore, you know? And then there's all these other issues that are happening with the with the Biden presidency. And that brings me back to, um, in terms of like his impeachment and um, the things that have been going on with his family, all the corruption allegations. And um, all of like the money laundering that's that's been going on with him. So this brings me back to the other issue that I had with the Republicans. And this was sort of, I think poking its head out to me as like a really annoying thing, which is the lack of unity. Now, the lack of unity, I think, is like I was saying, an ideological strength. But an ideological strength will only get you so far. There has to be an application. There has to be a practice to it that would lead to actual governance. And I get that there's factions. I get that maybe Matt Gates hates um, Kevin McCarthy's guts. Got it. Okay. They're never going to get along. Gates has his own spheres of influence, and it's enough to make um, Kevin McCarthy's life miserable. Got it. All right, cool. But this is a, a problem that's also notable in Donald Trump, which is he has this vendetta um, against everybody that ever has ever done him wrong. And as much as I love Trump, I wish he would just drop it. I wish that he would just take on the mantle of the position that he's taken and he should be in office right now. You shouldn't. This guy, this buffoon. I'm sorry, uh, but he's he's just. I really can't go off on him, but you know, he he shouldn't be running the country. He's just too old. All of his other problems aside, he's just too old. He's too old to be doing what he's doing. Um, but you take all these things into consideration, and the Republicans have this problem where they are not able to set aside their own differences in order to eliminate the enemy. And and I'm not saying it as in like a like a like in a military term because we're all Americans. I'm not saying destroy the enemy. What I'm saying is eliminate them from their posts. They shouldn't be running the country. They can have their own families. They can they're Americans just like anybody else. They have passports. They're human beings. But in terms of our constitution, in terms of like how our country was set up, they are enemies. You know, you swear an oath against uh, to defend the country against for enemies, foreign and domestic. 
you know, when you join the military, when you're um, swearing an oath of office. And our country is not meant to in, in, uh, to entertain and to incorporate these ideas of Marxism. There's there's too many political, economic, military, and then there's just like this overall like just incompetency that comes along with it because the system is just so designed to just like oh yeah well things suck and like we're trying you know we just need more money in order to fix the problem all you need to do is to give us more money more control and we will make it happen and then things get worse and then that's a, a precursor to getting more and more and more it's such a system of like just corruption and incompetence and stagnation that like it's of course of course our economy would be so destroyed of course our our buying purchasing power and the dollar is so bad of course americans are at each other's throats because incompetent people using in a, 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 a ideology of incompetence have been running the show for so many years and backing each other up and providing cover for each other to the point that is, it's just so blatantly obvious that that's what's been going on for decades and it needs to end or the country's not going to survive. So going back to the Republicans, how can the Republicans help? Well, I think if you go back to the 2012 Tea Party movement, if you go back to, um, and then that growing into the Trump movement, that these average Americans who are voicing these, you know, national, let's call them nationalistic, um, in a good sense, let's say patriotism, let's call it, um, you know, national pride, uh, let's call it uh, national survival, um, personal survival, like all these people are like, hey, look, you know what? We can't do anything with the Democrats. They're all a bunch of Marxists and, you know, people who want to just commit societal and civilizational suicide. The Republicans, we can work with them, but they need to be ousted, you know, essentially like a, like by attrition, you know. And what's interesting to me is. If you look on the paperwork for um, a security clearance or for a green card, they ask you, "Do you are you a member of the Communist Party or like do you hold these views?" And you have to answer no, or you're not getting a security clearance, or you're not coming into this country. But clearly, that is a value, just based off of what's been going on this last. 20 years, um, I mean, really within the last, let's say 12, yeah, 12 or 13, and that's an ideology, I think, that's gained a lot of momentum, that's gained a lot of support, and, um, you know, I think Barack Obama was the one that really broke that that seal when he went, I think it was to Argentina and said, like, you know, you don't have to really worry about economic systems and such rigid forms you don't have to think about like this in terms of like capitalism versus communism like oh you're a yankee capitalist you know and then oh you're a communist dog you don't have to think about it in terms like that you can just use what you can take 
and pick from what and use from what works. And that, I think, that man's charisma, that man's um, just like way of being, and him just like popping off and like always lecturing. He's like that, he's like the great lecturer. That guy. He was always just lecturing America every single time something happened. Instead of doing his job, or actually he did do his job, but he did the wrong job. Um, but he's just always popping off, opening his mouth, lecturing America about everything. I'm so glad that guy's gone. But maybe he really isn't. I think he's actually kind of running the show behind um, Biden. But anyways, um, so these are some things that really annoy me about the Republican Party. I wish that um, over time, with in the, the near future that there can be some consolidation in terms of like getting agendas done. And what I'd really like to see is that the next time that there is a Republican president, a Republican Congress, and a Republican Senate, that the president pretty much just like lives in the U.S. Capitol building. And he's just like, hey, look, man, I need you guys to start pumping out bills. You make the bill. You hand it to... Ted Cruz or Mitch McConnell, he's probably going to be gone. It's probably going to be Ted Cruz running the Senate. You give it to Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz will then hand it to me and I will sign it. And every week, we are going to start putting out policies. And we are going to start putting out laws. And everything is going to be signed, put into date, and we are going to start making things happen. Like, like no, you know... No beating around the bush anymore. Things are actually just going to get done. And I'd really like to see that the next time because I think they squandered that um, opportunity when Trump was in office. But, um, all right, well, um, yeah, I think the cowardice of the Republican Party has really got to end if the nation is going to survive. They need to call the the Democrats out as communists, um, treat them like political enemies, not military enemies. Let me make that distinction very clear. I'm not saying to use any sort of violence. I think political violence, once you start going down that road, you have lost. You have just proven um, by the nature of what you're doing, Antifa, Proud Boys, any one of these loser groups that decided to go around beating people up, if you can't convince somebody with words, your words and your ideas are not that powerful. You should be able to convince somebody with ideas and if you can't then you need to study some more you need to have more conversations with people that's not what i'm talking about what i'm talking about is treating them like political enemies P- treating them like enemies of the united states i'm not saying militarily i'm not saying espionage or any of those things they can still live a good happy comfortable life do what they got to do watch netflix sit in their pajamas but they should not be the people running the show okay let me just make that perfectly clear They should not be people running the show. They are enemies of the Constitution. I'm not saying throw them in jail. I'm not saying do any of those things other than remove them from office, remove them from their posts. They should not be running any function of government if they're holding ideas that are beholden to communism, Stalinism, Leninism, Marxism, any one of these, you know, communist ideas, you know, that, they shouldn't have security clearances. And that's just, that's just textbook right there. Okay. They shouldn't be having these positions. If those are the ideas that they hold to, that they are beholden to, 
You know, all you got to do is watch uh, or look at photos of Obama when he was in Havana Square. That guy was loving it. Anyways, so with that, I think I will um, I will sign off for today. Um, let me know what you guys think in the comments. Um, check out my new album. It's called Fujiwara Effect. It's on uh, Spotify. It's by my band, The Water Bear. My favorite song on there is called uh, Foosball in Mexico or Life in Four Minutes. And um, yeah, check out this podcast. Check out some more episodes of this podcast. I got um, another podcast I do with my wife. It's on um, relationships, marriage, things like that. It's called Engaging Walk. Really fun to do that with my lovely wife, whom I love with all my heart. I love you, Ruby. And um, yeah, so lots of good things coming up in the future for the podcast, for music, uh, for my art, for my music, and for um, you know my family and things like that. So stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for some updates. Thank you guys for tuning in for this um, the duration of the show. I love you guys and have a good night. <laughs>